Rose Wagner. Did you? I, right before I went to bed, I was looking at the news, which you shouldn't do, right? And uh, they were showing video. Did you see the blue light before the earthquake in Morocco? It's this bizarre phenomenon. They caught it on several security cameras. But right before the earthquake, there was this flashing blue light in the sky. Uh, and you geologists can probably explain it. They're, I mean, they said the same thing happened in Turkey. So I was went to sleep, and then it started lightning outside. <laughs> Earthquake! So, yeah. Well, yeah, it's aliens or something, but it, it was really it was, look it up online. There's a bunch of Twitter videos of it. It's just a blue light. It's about three minutes before the the earthquake hit. Anyway, we're going to take a stab at Mark 14. We are in the final countdown. T minus two here, or I think that's right, about two days until the big event. And Jesus' mind is definitely on what's going to happen. The disciples, not so much. But we'll take a look. Uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. This is the lens, I think, for us to understand what Jesus' sacrifice was. And thanks to Chris's great leadership, uh, hopefully you guys have been to a Passover now. If you remember last spring, uh, we had a, we had a pretty good time. Um, Two festivals uh, combined, uh, Passover, <clears throat> remember this is the sacrifice of the lamb on the night they're delivered from Egypt. And God makes very clear to people of Israel, the only difference between you and the Egyptian is the sacrifice of this blameless lamb. And this really, this image of the lamb is what... I think is the intended lens to understand what Jesus is. We tend towards the cross, which is fine, but textually, especially in Mark, the, the lamb idea, this, this blameless lamb being offered for our sacrifice. On the flip side, Festival of Unleavened Bread, it gets lumped together. Uh, and the, they were two holidays, really a week apart. And this is move, remove all of the yeast from your house. Before you you celebrate Passover, mm. so this image of sin in your house, any any little bitty bit of yeast, get it out. So clean your own house before God has to. Do what you can. Make your choice. Uh, years ago, talking to some Jews that were celebrating this, and uh, it's they're pretty neurotic about it to try to get it all out. The guy I talked to said, you know what the worst part of this is? A car seat. <laughs> if, you, if you've got kids, right, it's just all those little things. So, uh, ended up throwing out his car seat to find a new one. So uh, you can't get it clean. So setting this theme for us, what's coming in two days, and really this sense now of let's do what we can before Jesus goes to the cross so that we can... Be ready. This bread is It is, um, but Lechem has yeast, and that makes it tasty. Nobody likes matzah. 
got to clean it out once a year. So the leading priest, mine says teachers of religious law, which is very confusing. But what does yours say? The priest's part is right. What's the second? Yeah, that's so bad. It sounds like rabbis. It's scribes. We've talked about them a little bit. These are the actual technocrats that make the copies of the Torah. It's like the geek squad, if you will, uh, for, for the Bible. So the plot in order to kill Jesus actually begins with the Sadducees. That's who they're talking about here. Leading priests, these are the aristocratic priestly families that are in control in Jerusalem. Jesus has upset them, no ends, because of his little escapades in the temple, turning over the tables, his talk about the temple being destroyed. Generally, remember, Israel has this big existential question. How should we worship God? Should we do it the way the scripture said, literally, at the temple, the sacrifices, all of that? Or should we hold on to what we learned in the exile, that we should know Torah, we should know scripture, we should rely on our rabbis? So on a good day, uh, a Sadducee is going to hate Jesus because he's a rabbi. But Jesus is, because of his procession into Jerusalem, seen as a potential messiah. And these messiahs lead to revolts. And the revolts lead to Roman reactions. And that is usually bloody and horrible. The Sadducees do not want anything to get worse. They've got it pretty good in a bad situation. And so any disruption political is going to cost them not only money, but probably lives. So Jesus is, is a problem. So to begin, uh, we're looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, for the people may riot. Jerusalem is a hotbed on a good day. <laughs> Heck, it's the Middle East, right? It's, it's like their national sport. Hey, what's happening? Okay. But... Certainly during Passover, people have come from all over the world to, to be there. There is the stark reminder that Rome has their heel on the throat of the people, and people want to change. So every time there's a big revolt or a problem, riot, it begins at Passover. Verse 3, meanwhile, Jesus is in Bethany, Bethany, the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Ugh. Um, so he's all healed now, but he still doesn't have a nose, and ears, and hands. And that's great. Pass the walk and You know, it's like, uh, okay, so Bethany is back across the Kidron Valley. So remember, we sort of have Jerusalem here, and we have the Kidron Valley. Up here is the Mount of Olives, and then as you sort of go down the other side, this is moving towards Jericho, uh, this is Bethany, Bethphage and Bethany. Uh, this is kind of Jesus' rest stop. He's got friends there um, who 
was like Mary and Martha. So it's, again, remember, uh, Jerusalem is packed. I mean, it's just massive. People camping outside. People all over the city. It's just, just a mess. So it's good if you can get outside of the city. You know, go to the burbs. And that's kind of what Bethany is. So we don't know much more about this Simon, other than, obviously, he's been healed. I think we can assume that Jesus did the healing, although it doesn't say that specifically. But it, 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 just, it just sounds weird. It's like, um, remember that guy that got burned in the fire? We went over and had barbecue at his house. I mean, it's just that kind of, ooh, that's weird. That's, this is weird. You, you eat at the leper's house. But that's not even the crazy part. Uh, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Okay, just for physical uh, touch. I have a replica of a uh, nard jar from uh, a museum in Jerusalem, a big archaeology museum. So we've got alabaster. It's imported from Egypt, which would have been a big deal. Uh, you think you've got to have this stone, and it's, it's got some good weight to it. It's got to come all the way from Egypt. So I don't know if uh, this was carved in Egypt, probably, and then transported. Um, but then you have nard inside of it, so you can take the lid off, and I've got nard in it. It's uh, sort of uh, sealed to the bottom, but uh, nard comes from India. So think about the travel that it's got to go through to get from India to Judea, to Jerusalem. I mean, that, that's a lot, of, a lot of travel. This is incredible wealth. It really is like a bar of gold. This is a great deal of wealth concentrated into something very small. So you smell how strong the nard is. I mean, it's, woo! Um, I just poured a little at the bottom, right? And it's sort of sealed in. Imagine that whole jar full of nard. I mean, this is a lifetime supply of nard. It's it's a lot. It really is a lot. A couple handfuls. I mean, it's sort of like massage oil. Uh, they would not use the whole thing. I mean, this is really a lifetime, maybe even pass it on. Now, the oh, question? Right, right. These things are, are, like I said, very valuable because it's a great deal of wealth in a very concentrated form. So it's like diamonds, right? Uh, it's a lot of wealth in a, in a little bit of place. So remember, Jesus comes from this, this side of rabbinic teaching, Haggadah, it's the story. So you take life, you take parables, you take events, and this teaches you. So in a sense, he's doing this here, right? This woman has come, and it's leading us to questions. Jesus is, is sort of going to teach you this real-life experience. So where did she get this? 
mean, honestly, your, your teenager comes home with a bag full of diamonds. Yeah, it, it, it could be her, you know, somebody paid her off, you know, she she works hard for her money kind of thing. Um, from Mark, we don't know that specifically, but uh, she could be from a very wealthy family, and she, you know, sort of went into the safe and pulled something out. Uh, what else? As weird as that smells, it's, I guess, better than a dead body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sales rep. She, she got a, a sample. Yeah. Is that the only thing you said for? Yeah, it's actually perfume. Yeah, um, really, the the covering of the body is a secondary uh, function. I mean, this is this is a lifetime supply. Again, you've brought this in from India. You uh, brought the the thing from Egypt. You're not going to do this every month. You know, it's not like Amazon when you have your regular order. This is this is once in a lifetime. So you know, just a little bit of that obviously goes goes a long way. So. It, it's it's got a weird odor, doesn't it? I mean, it's smelling even. All right, well, I'll get you some nard. You can smear it all over yourself. <laughs> so, um, triclinium. Uh, these are the tables that they use. Romans eat. You know, again, we did this right, and we're reclining to to the side. They don't sit at tables like this; they sit in couches. And so you're sort of—it's like I'm sitting on a, a couch, and here's the table. And so this is sort of how I eat. Um, that's that's what they're doing. But she—I mean, she broke open the jar, and so that this really is a sense that she's destroying it. Um, which is, is big in and of itself, and poured the perfume over his head. <laughs> Again, this is all a little, little weird. Um, so we really get a, a little sense of this is anointing kind of thing, but you don't anoint with this stuff. I mean, so it's, it, it, you, again, it's a lot of questions uh, that we're, we're asking here. In a sense, she's she's confirming that he is the Messiah, but not quite. I mean, nard is is do you smell good or for a funeral um, preparation? Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume? They ask. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her. Partially. Now, again, in this in Mark, we don't know that it's disciples. It probably is, but certainly people at the table. Again, this woman, uninvited, comes in, busts this open, 
start smearing all this over Jesus. I mean, this is not a small amount of stuff. I mean, this would have been more of like a cream, right? So it's not, she can just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing. And then the whole room smells like grandmother. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what is going on here? So why is she doing this? Who is she? Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. Let, let's jump over to Luke uh, chapter 7. We'll, we'll look at uh, another, I think, version of the story, but, but you, you can decide if this happened more than once. <laughs> if Jesus had problems with the lady smearing stuff on him, or uh, it's the same event. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Chapter 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman, what does yours say? Yeah. The, uh, the Hebrew word for this is hope. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, our, our, our modern translations uh, that make it a few world woman. It's, it's so benign. She, she's a working girl. So, dinner with the Pharisees, and Ho walks in. Um, Heard that he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered uh, his thoughts, Simon. So here we have that connection. He said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. So we'll, we'll stop there. Is this the same story? Just from Luke's perspective? It be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, remember, Luke is basically what Paul understands the Gospels to be. Luke does a research project to figure out uh, for just Gentile, uh, although Luke's probably Gentile, um, patron, you know, the history of Jesus, but his main source is Paul. Whereas Mark's main source is his experience with Jesus, but also Peter. So, again, they're not writing these while looking at each other. They're, uh, they're writing their recollections, and, uh, you know, it's, it's real life. People don't always get the story right. But here in this case, uh, if this Simon, and it's interesting that if he was a leper and also a Pharisee, um, that's, a, that's an interesting combination. But... Uh, 
Right. In which case, that he would have a hard time with fellow Pharisees, right? Because they would have nothing to do with it. Even after he was healed, which is, again, the difference for Jesus. But you, you guys know this. We've talked about it before. Um, what, what do feet represent in, uh, in Hebrew thinking? Yep, it's your huevos, your nuts. Uh, that's how they say that in Hebrew. Um, it's one of the things that we almost always miss. So when a Hebrew is going to talk about a man's business, they say his regel, his feet. So the way you urinate in Hebrew is you make water with your feet. Um, King Asa had a foot infection. And I've actually heard stupid servants, well, it's gout. It's not gout. He has a venereal disease. They have two words uh, that they'll use for feet. One is actually your physical feet, and then the other is your um, your regal, your your genitalia. I mean, every language has a, a you know, like in Spanish, your huevos. Uh, now, this is in Greek, okay? So we we don't know. Now, I don't think she touched Jesus's parts. But in the Hebrew mind, they make these connotations, right? Uh, I had a, a really good uh, friends in uh, El Paso. Uh, there was a couple. He was an ER doctor, and part of his um, <laughs> medical training was a medical school in Mexico City. Which, when you're a doctor in El Paso and you need to treat trauma, Mexico City is like the place to go, right? You know. You got shot with AK-47. Maybe I saw this in medical school. It's no big deal, right? So anyway, uh, his wife, who uh, was just learning Spanish, went with him. And uh, so she had all sorts of escapades learning to live in Mexico City. But one of the worst things she ever did was she was at a grocery store and she couldn't find um, the eggs. So how would you ask the clerk, ¿Dónde están los huevos? So where are your nuts? <laughs> you just don't say that, you know, to another man. Um, and so that's what's going on here. She came in. She's kind of worked up. She's got this reputation. And she starts running on his feet. This is way, way inappropriate. Again, women are never supposed to touch uh, rabbis. I mean, it's just not. It's well, like we saw with the woman and the bleeding and all that. You, you don't touch them. So she's making a scene. She's crying, right? And then what does she do? What's the last? She takes her hair and she uh, she wipes. So this is another way, way inappropriate. Uh, Jewish women will, even today you sort of see it, they'll, they'll cover their hair. Sometimes actually their wigs, or sometimes they put it up. You see actually Orthodox actually cover their hair, but to have let down your hair, so to speak, is really just for your husband. So on so many levels, this is 
out of the ballpark. So the question is, did Mark clean it up a little bit? As notice, Mark doesn't say she's a hooker. Um, he doesn't say anything about the feet. Uh, well, what, what do you think happened? At least two events or one event or? Yeah, no, it, I, it happened. Everybody uh, takes a whack at it. Because let's be honest, we were eating dinner with Jesus one night and this girl likes it and she breaks out and she starts rubbing out and then she just boils out. It's like, what? You know, that's a great, great point. Um, I never thought about that, but I had. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to be the Boaz connection, Ruth rubbing on feet. And, um, wow, that's a, yeah, that's, I'm glad I came to Bible study to think about that, Chris. Yeah. She could have just been, you know, proposing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. For her job, you know. Yeah, no. Um, and maybe, you know, she wanted something different if Jesus had healed this leper who was a Pharisee maybe, then what could he do for her? I mean, I think you're right. There is some believerness to this. I mean, she, she's probably heard with the entry what Jesus is, can do. Maybe heard of his healing. Maybe she's sick of the life that she's had, and she wants something like Ruth different. I, I, I want to be, be different, but... And I agree, but I don't want it ever to turn into she's just reading her script. Because she makes her real choice, and God uses that real choice. So it's sort of two people above. You know, we're going to get to Judas in just a minute, and you know, he's he's got his part to play. But Jesus is trying to say to him, hey, you still got a choice, buddy. Um, I know this is going to happen, but it doesn't have to happen. You, you, you have a choice here. That's a whole different Bible study. Any story that gets included in all of the Gospels is is something that really stuck out. Roads wet. Roads wet. Did you? I right before I went to bed, I was looking at the news, which you should do, right? And they were showing video. Did you see the blue light before the earthquake in Morocco? It's this bizarre phenomenon. They caught it on several security cameras. But right before the earthquake, there was this flashing blue light in the sky. Um, you, geologists can probably explain it. They're, I mean, they said the same thing happened in Turkey. So I was went to sleep, and then it started lightning outside. <laughs> earthquake! So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's aliens or something, but it, it was really, it was, look, look it up online, there's a bunch of Twitter videos of it, it's, it's the blue light, it's about three minutes before the, the earthquake hit. So, anyway, we're going to take a stab at Mark 14. 
We are in the final countdown. T minus two here, or I think that's right, about two days until the big event. And Jesus's mind is definitely on what's gonna happen. The disciples, not so much. So we'll take a look. Uh, chapter 14, verse one. It was now two days before the Passover, the festival of unleavened bread. This is the lens, I think, for us to understand what Jesus' sacrifice was. And thanks to Chris's great leadership, uh, hopefully you guys have been to a Passover now. If you remember last spring, uh, we had a pretty good time. Um, Two festivals uh, combined, uh, Passover. Remember this is the sacrifice of the lamb on the night they're delivered from Egypt. God makes very clear to people of Israel, the only difference between you and the Egyptian is the sacrifice of this blameless lamb. And this really, this image of the lamb is what I think is the intended lens to understand what Jesus is. We tend towards the cross, which is fine, but textually, especially in Mark, the, the lamb idea this, this blameless lamb being offered for our sacrifice. On the flip side, Festival of Unleavened Bread, it gets lumped together. Uh, and the, they were two holidays, really a week apart. And this is move, remove all of the yeast from your house before you, you celebrate Passover. Mm-hmm. So this image of sin in your house, uh, any, any little bitty bit of Yeast, get it out. So clean your own house before God has to. Do what you can. Make your choice. Uh, years ago, talking to some Jews that were celebrating this, and uh, it's they're pretty neurotic about it to try to get it all out. Uh, the guy I talked to said, you know what the worst part of this is? The car seat. <laughs> if, you, if you've got kids, right, this is all those little things. So. Uh, ended up throwing out his car seat just buying a new one. So uh, you can't get it clean. So instead of this theme for us, what's coming in two days, and really this sense now of let's do what we can before Jesus goes to the cross so that we can uh, be ready. Is this bread that is not in? It is, um, but Lechem has yeast and that makes it tasty. Nobody likes matzah. So the leading priests, mine says teachers of religious law, which is very confusing. But what does your say? The priest's part is right. What's the second? Yeah, that's so bad. It sounds like rabbis. It's scribes. We've talked about them a little bit. These are the actual technocrats that make the copies of the Torah. It's like the geek squad, if you will, uh, for for the Bible. So the plot in order to kill Jesus actually begins with the Sadducees. That's who they're talking about here. Leading priests, these are the aristocratic priestly families that are in control in Jerusalem. Jesus has upset them, no ends, because of his little 
escapades in the temple, turning over uh, the tables, his talk about the temple being destroyed. Generally, remember, Israel has this big existential question. How should we worship God? Should we do it the way the scripture said, literally, at the temple, the sacrifices, all of that? Or should we hold on to what we learned in the exile, that we should know Torah, we should know scripture, we should rely on the rabbis? So on a good day, um, a Sadducee is going to hate Jesus because he's a rabbi. But Jesus is, because of his procession into Jerusalem, seen as a potential messiah. And these messiahs lead to revolts. And the revolts lead to Roman reactions. And that is usually bloody and horrible. The Sadducees do not want anything to get worse. They've got it pretty good in a bad situation. And so any disruption political is going to cost them not only money, but probably lives. So Jesus is, is a problem. So to begin, uh, we're looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, for the people may riot. Jerusalem is a hotbed on a good day. <laughs> it's the Middle East, right? It's it's like their national sport. Hey, let's have okay. But certainly during Passover, people have come from all over the world to to be there. There is the stark reminder that Rome has their heel on the throat of the people, and people want to change. So every time there's a big revolt or a problem, riot, it begins at Passover. Verse 3, meanwhile, Jesus is in Bethany, Bethany, the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Ugh. Um, so he's all healed now, but he still doesn't have a nose and ears and hands and... That's great. Pass the walk only. You know, it's like, uh, okay, so Bethany is back across the Kidron Valley. So remember, we sort of have Jerusalem here, and then we have the Kidron Valley. Up here is the Mount of Olives. And then as you sort of go down the other side, this is moving towards Jericho. Uh, this is Bethany. Bethage and Bethany. Uh, this is kind of Jesus' rest stop. He's got friends there, um, Mary and Martha. So it's, again, remember, uh, Jerusalem is packed. I mean, it's just massive. People camping outside, people all over the city. It's just, just a mess. So it's good if you can get outside of the city. You know, go to the burbs. And that's kind of what Bethany is. So we don't know much more about this Simon, other than, obviously, he's been healed. I think we can assume that Jesus did the healing, although it doesn't say that specifically. But it, 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 just, it just sounds weird. It's like, um, remember that guy that got burned in the fire? We went over and had barbecue at his house. I mean, it's just that kind of, ooh, that's weird. That's, this is weird. You're eating at the leper's house. But that's not even the crazy part. Uh, while he was eating, 
woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Okay, just for physical uh, touch, I have a replica of a uh, nard jar from uh, a museum in Jerusalem, a big archaeology museum. So we've got alabaster, it's imported from Egypt, which would have been a big deal. Uh, you think you've got to have this stone and it's, it's got some good weight to it. It's got to come all the way from Egypt. So I don't know if uh, this was carved in Egypt, probably, and then transported. Um, but then you have nard inside of it. So you can take the lid off and I've got nard in it. It's uh, sort of sealed to the bottom, but uh, nard comes from India. So think about the travel that it's got to go through to get from India to Judea to Jerusalem. I mean that that's a lot of a lot of travel. This is incredible wealth. It really is like a bar of gold. This is a great deal of wealth concentrated into something very small. So you. Smell how strong the nard is. I mean, it's, woo! Um, I just poured a little at the bottom, right? And it's sort of sealed in. Imagine that whole jar full of nard. I mean, this is a lifetime supply of nard. It's, it's a lot. It really is a lot. Couple handfuls. I mean, it's sort of like massage oil. Uh, they would not use the whole thing. I mean, this is really a lifetime, maybe even pass it on. Now, the, oh, question? Right, right. These things are, are, like I said, very valuable because it's a great deal of wealth in a very concentrated form. So it's like diamonds, right? Uh, it's a lot of wealth in a, in a little bit of place. So, remember, Jesus comes from this, this side of rabbinic teaching, Haggadah, it's the story. So you take life, you take parables, you take events, and this teaches you. So in a sense, he's doing this here, right? This woman has come, and it's leading us to questions. Jesus is, is sort of going to teach you this real life experience. So, where did she get this? I mean, honestly, your your teenager comes home with a bag full of diamonds. Yeah, it, it, it could be her, you know, somebody paid her off, you know, she, she works hard for her money kind of thing. Um, from Mark, we don't know that specifically, but uh, she could be from a very wealthy family, and she, you know, sort of went into the safe and pulled something out. Uh, what else? As weird as that smells, it's, I guess, better than a dead body.
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sales rep. She she got a, a sample. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually perfume. Yeah. Um, really, the the covering of the body is a secondary uh, function. I mean, this is this is a lifetime supply. Again, you brought this in from India. You uh, brought the the thing from Egypt. You're not going to do this every month. You know, it's not like Amazon where you have your regular order. This is this is once in a lifetime. So you know, 